All right, well, uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. A good group of you this morning. We're going to have a good time. You know, uh, I had two or three messages that over the last two or three weeks, I've I put one together, I don't know, probably a month ago called A Ladies' Man. And you guys probably been waiting on that one. And I went over it yesterday and went, that's the cheesiest message I've ever written in my life. Um, you might get it, but you're going to get the revised or the 2.0 edition. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's okay. That's, that's the best I can say. Uh, I don't know if you'll really be a ladies' man after you hear that message. Uh, looked at, uh, I've got another one that uh, put together. Actually, some years ago uh, when I was at Wolferth and I went over that message um, last week and thought, man, this would be a great message for Braveheart. It's called Apathy. And uh, then I read it and went, that's not any good. So, uh, so I said, Lord, what am I supposed to teach on? And so uh, last week I started going over uh, some things and going over my own life and looking at prioritizing my own life because here's what I know. Cats have supposedly nine lives, but you do too. If I were to ask you today, what life do you have? How many lives do you have? What does your life look like? You start telling me about your life, and what you're going to find is that you can probably carpmentalize. Carpmentalize. Yeah. You, you probably can several different aspects of life. In my own life right now, I've got uh, a mother that's been in the hospital, in and out of the hospital for a uh, couple months now, longer, I don't know. Um, so night before last, I, we're on rotation. I spent the night at the hospital, uh, Sunday afternoon is at the hospital. Uh, interesting thing while I was in the parking lot of the hospital, got a phone call from a woman whose 15 year old son had died, uh, that week, um, completely unexpectedly enlarged heart. Uh, he's a big kid, uh, kind of grew faster than his heart did, uh, had a cardiac arrest. Um, and she was just beside herself when I had her on the phone Sunday. Now, it happened the week before. that had its services actually Saturday. Um, so that brings me to a uh, second compartment of my life, which would simply be church. So you probably have some type of church life. And then all of you, or most of you, will have a family life. And then you have a job life. Now, the truth is we have all of these lives that are going on, and and we get tired, we get run down, and what happens is we'll start misprioritizing uh, compartments in our life. And we'll start emphasizing what really doesn't need to be emphasized and we'll not emphasize what probably should be emphasized at this point in time in our life. So I'm coming to a place of confession today. I'm coming to a place of saying, hey, you know, we've got to learn to be men to, to talk to one another and begin to talk to, talk to one another in each other's lives. First uh, John tells us this, says that we, as we live in the light, as he is in the light, we will confess, therefore, to one another our sins, our challenges, our struggles. Now, you may not thought, think that having misprioritized in your life is a sin, but I'm going to tell you this morning it is. It is. If I were, you don't have to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you this question, how many of you got this, got up this morning and spent time with the Lord. See, some of us got up this morning and said, my time with the Lord is going to be brave hearts, <laughs> right? I get it. Man, I'm not after you. I'm just, I'm just saying, right? Uh, because we start in life with priorities, and we're going we're gonna to develop in life throughout, throughout life with priorities. And, and a lot of times our priorities are set one with another. 
Now, over the years, the, the church and the church's history did this. You know, uh, I like to share this story. Years ago, we were facing this direction. Three, four years ago, we had orange carpet. Uh, it was really nice. I have no idea why Brett wanted to get rid of it. Um, the pews, we had pews in here, all facing that direction. And, and uh, we, had, we, had these call, we had these kneeling rails. Some of you remember them. Any of you grow up in a traditional church that had the kneeling rails? And Paul Cypress said, hey, you need to get the kneeling rails out and get an altar team up there. And so, you know, me being a little bit, uh, I don't know what I would call it, just, just maybe hard-headed, I said, well, here's the thing. People come forward every Sunday, and they kneel down on those before God, and they confess to God, and they reprioritize their life. And so, Paul, I don't think we ought to get rid of them. So, month goes by, two months goes by. Paul comes up here, sees us, we still have them. He says, hey, uh, man, you need, to, you need to get rid of those. Get you an altar team up here. And I was like, Pastor Paul, look, you saw how many people came up here and knelt down before God. And this is what he said. He said, you know what? It's easy to kneel down before God, but it's difficult to kneel down before one another. And nowhere in the New Testament have I ever read, therefore confess your sins to God. And, and that took me because I was like, oh, I'll find it. Man, I hate to correct you on this one, but I'm going to correct you. It's not true. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Because when we confess our sins to one another, when we confess our weaknesses to one another, here's what happens. God reprioritizes our life. And that's something that I'm, I'm beginning to discover now. When I need help, I'll begin to confess, hey, these are my weaknesses. This is the order of my life right now. How can I reorder that? How do we need to reorder that? What does that need to look like in order for me to make a difference and have an impact on the kingdom of God? Because the truth is, the older I get, the more I realize that I need to number my days. <clears throat> the scripture says this about your days. The wise man will number his days. Now, when you're young, in your 20s, some of you in your 20s, you're like, man, I ain't got to number nothing. Shoot, I got this life figured out. Life is great. Life is fun. Life is full of vigor. Life is, I've got a lot of strength right now. That's true. And I just want you to hear something. That was me yesterday. Yesterday. I, I, I had a good time over the last few weeks talking to, to Lyle because uh, his oldest is getting ready to, to uh, spread her wings and fly. And as we've been talking, and, and Lyle brings up, you know, being a missionary overseas and all these things, I can tell you that just hearing his passion and hearing his heart, I go, oh, man, this is what happened. Life crept up on us. And it, it just, all of a sudden, you're in your 40s, and you're looking back, and you're going, holy cow, how did this happen? You're waking up in the morning, morning your feet are hitting the ground. You're going, man, my ankles are sore. The wise man, the wise man learns to number his days. And you'll begin to realize that days are short. And so if we can have our priorities right, here's what will happen. The wise man with the correct priorities in life will continue to live even after he dies. Because his priorities will be about God and God is eternal. And what we will do and the legacy we will leave will become a, a living legacy. And there are some great examples out there. I mean, we quote dead theologians all the time we do it why because they left something they left a, a, a way of understanding 
But even more so than that, isn't it neat to see people who have great families and their family lineage has gone on? We, we were, I was in the hospital a couple of days ago, and this nurse comes in, and she goes, oh, this is Eloise's house. We have heard so much about you, and more importantly, we've heard so much about your family. Just you got an incredible family. You, you know, and she starts talking about this. Why? Well, because we're all Christians. If mom and dad had a success, they had four children, and all four loved Jesus. That's, a, that's an incredible legacy to leave. It's what they have. So let's talk about this because I believe the first place, the, the, I, I say this all the time, the first step to responsibility is what, man? I say it all the time, and now you're like, I don't know, we don't listen. Man, heck, it's 6.30 in the morning, Curtis. Awareness. Brett's got it. <laughs> all right. But Brett's in my hip pocket all the time. However, this, this is what we need to learn. The first step to responsibility is awareness. And, and all throughout Scripture, what I see Jesus and what I see even in the Old Testament is God is trying to make the people aware. Behold, I am your God. When, when God is asked what his name is, what's his response? I am. I am. I want you to be aware that I am. Because when you're aware that he is, you will begin to take responsibility for who you are. That's just the way it works. And so we have life in priority in order. I am, I am today because he is. I didn't create me. You didn't create you. And your parents really didn't have much to do with it. They had a good time on a Saturday night. But really didn't have a whole lot. God had a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. So in saying that, let's talk about taking this responsibility. Because as we as men take responsibility, this is what happens. We will see responsibility begin to play out in the church. We'll see responsibility begin to play out in our households. We'll see that the car... The compartments in our lives will begin to line up the way they're supposed to be. Because if I were to ask you today, I could sit down with every one of you, and you would start with me this way. You would say, well, in my life, this is, these are probably my problems. You'd probably begin to say, Curtis, you know, pray for me because I have this going on, I have this going on, I have this going on. And then you would allow me to speak into that. But it's not just about speaking to the pastor. It's about us creating a culture where the culture We'll begin to confess one another, begin to take responsibility because we're aware. You ever gone to someone's house and said, hey, your life's out of order? I had a prayer partner years and years ago where, uh, man, there were three of us that were prayer partners. And, and I had to uh, uh, drive over to, to uh, his house one day and say, hey, uh, what are your priorities? And he said, man, right now my priorities is to expand this thing. And so I'm having to miss church. I'm having to miss my family. I'm having to miss... But Curtis, it's just for a season. And once he explained it, I got it. I said, well, let us come on with you and pray with you and help you and get you through this season, right? Because awareness will take us to a place of responsibility. And he was able to say, man, and I didn't realize I was missing so much. I didn't realize, I, you know, I just kind of got, got tied up in, in my business and my work. and my job. It's happened to all of us, right? And so let's, let's, let's look at this for just a minute. The church, one of the earliest renditions of the church is uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra and Nehemiah, if you remember, they, they go back. They're, they're actually called, they're calling the people back 
their prophets and they're saying, hey, we've got to go back. We've got to get Israel back to be in Israel, Jerusalem back to be in Jerusalem, if you will, or rebuild the walls and, and reset the church. And so in 52 days, they really do the impossible because they become aware and they take responsibility and they begin to speak in one another's lives. So they take responsibility for themselves. They take responsibility for their own sins. And today I want to talk about what that looks like in our church. Because, man, I believe that, that as we prioritize our life, this is what we'll see. We'll see God's providential hand, as I said on Sunday, begin to work out in our lives. It's amazing to me how many people I talk to who've gone to church all their life and say, you know, I've really know, though, never seen God move. You ever talk to that person? It's frustrating. And they're frustrated. I've been in church for 30 years. I've never seen God move. Well, here's why. You may not have ever seen God move in your life because your life may not be in order. And as you position it to hear God, here's what happened. You will see God's providential hand move in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 9 and 10. Now, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, and he says this. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to a place of repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. God, and then he says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I, I convinced you, I made you aware of the problems in your church, of the problems in your life. I made you aware. He wrote a letter. And as a matter of fact, when you find out uh, Paul's letter to the church at, at Corinth, which this is what you learn, is he's reprimanding that church. We, we use it as the spiritual gift book. But he's actually telling them, hey, your spiritual gifts are even out of whack. When you read that, you, you've got some problems. And so Paul says, this is what happens. When you come to one another, when I bring you to that place that leads to repentance, it will take you to another place of salvation. You'll begin to see God's almighty hand work in a mighty way in your life, right? And it'll leave no regret. But worldly sor sorrow brings death. If you continue in a, a life that's out of order, it's worldly sorrow. You're not adding anything to the world. So men, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. As men of God, confession, confession leads us to a place of repentance. And repentance isn't weeping and the gnashing of teeth. We tend to say this, repentance looks like this, that, that if someone repents, they're crying, they're bawling their eyes out. Sometimes, you know, uh, John Wesley wrote about these revivals that they were having, and he said the people would, would run and throw themselves on the altar. As a matter of fact, they had to peel them off the altar because there was too much weight on the person on the bottom. Like, it, godly sorrow was bringing about death, right? They were dying on the bottom of the stack. So get them off because uh, we're going to kill somebody here at a revival. It's not healthy. Here's my point. My point is this, is that God wants us to speak one to one another, to make one another aware so that we can reprioritize sometimes or reset our lives for what they're supposed to be. I've had people speaking in my life time and time and time again, doing what? Hitting the reset button. Sometimes I just have to go to someone and say, hey, man, I can't balance all this. This is just too much. I, I just feel like I'm, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss. And, and he's got the cat in the hat, and the cat in the hat's got all the plates on spinning on the deals, you know. You ever seen the picture? 
That's how I feel. And I'm like, I dropped like four plates yesterday. And I don't know how to, how to go about this. Well, sometimes someone will say, okay, tell me what's going on in your life. You have an opportunity to confess. And when we talk about confession brings us to this place of repentance. The place of repentance means that you've got to change your mind on things. You've got to reprioritize. That's what the word repentance means. It's metanoia. It, it means to change one's mind. And so sometimes we've got to change our mind in the situations. So, in the church today, this is what we've seen. Confession has taken this role. To counter iniquities and uh, possible generational curses. So, we confess our sins, we confess our daddy's sins, and we think we're going to be set free. Uh, we could say it like this. Um, we could say that I'm predispositioned uh, to alcohol. I'm predispositioned to drugs. I'm predispositioned to sex, to porn, to fighting, overeating, overindulgence, etc., Right, And that's what we've called repentance today. That's what we've called confession today. So this is a problem. This is why we don't have a culture of prayer anymore. Because when people think that they come forward for prayer, they think they, that, that they're coming with iniquity. That they're bringing, your, your, when you confess, if I go to Caleb and I say, Hey, Caleb, uh, man, I feel like I've got all these things going on. And Caleb says, Well, uh, you know what, that's a generational curse. Uh, let me pray for you. Let me cast that out. Let me do this thing. Well, I thought I lacked nothing in Jesus Christ. How can that be a generational curse? How, 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 and, and, and ultimately what I'm saying is there may be a predisposition for something, but it's not always about repenting to the point of crying and shedding tears. Sometimes it's a realignment. It's simply just going to someone for a realignment. But Jesus calls us to live in the light as he is in the light. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Or confess your iniquity. Right? What we fail to overcome has the, the potential at some point in time to overcome our children and our nation. Part of the reason why our nation doesn't know priorities is simply this. I mean, it's amazing to me we live in a country today that believes it can spend its way out of debt. That's, that's where we live today. We, we just need more money uh, so we can spend it out of debt some way. And some of us live our lives this way. And what happens, yes, our children do see that. Yes, there could be iniquities. That's why we need to go to one another and help realign our lives. You know, have you ever tried to outsmart God in your confession? So this, this was the easy thing. I, I can do an altar call uh, with a kneeling rail, and people will come and confess their sins all day long to God. But we will not confess to one another. Men, as men of God, what does confession show? Let's be honest. Weakness. And we're supposed to be big, strong, tough men. So why would we ever go to someone and confess our sins? But we can go to God and we can empty our sin bucket with no intention to change. How does God call us, uh, hold us accountable? Think on this with me for a minute. He says, well, come back next week to the altar and I'll see how well you're doing. Man, God doesn't say that. What does he do? He uses each other to say it. We are the body of Christ. And so what happens is when we confess our sins to one another, this is what happens. Audie might come back next week and say, Curtis, now you said this, this, and this. Now let me ask you something. Are you doing it? Oh, well, heck, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. 
Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Starting there with verse 15. You can read it if you want. I'm just going to lead you through it because we've got to move on. This is an interesting scripture. Because what Jesus does here in Matthew 18, he kind of flips everything on his head. He says, if a brother sins, if a brother has some priorities that are out of line. Now, when he says, if a brother, what does that mean? If you have a brother, it means you share something. What do you share? A father. Good job back there, Jargo. Uh, if your brothers, then you share the same father. So he's saying this person is in the fold. This person knows Jesus. This person has the same father. So is as this person, as brothers, if your brother sins, if your brother goes awry is one of the versions. If your brother has, has priorities that are completely astray. And, and he's going that way. What's it say to do? It says go to him. You, you need to go to him. And so as you go to him, it, it says you might just win your brother. You might help him realign his life. You might help him get his priorities right. You might help strengthen his faith. And let's be honest. I mean, our our... Our belief is what's challenged, and sometimes even some of you this morning are going, man, my day is just full of so much, I, and, and, and I've not sought out God in the way that I should, and so sometimes I even wonder if God's still there. And you need someone to come and say, hey, not only is he there, but he loves you enough he sent me to you to speak to you. See, when we just confess at the altar, that's a great thing. It's a great habit. I'm not trying to tell you not to do it. Confess before the Lord. Get on your knees before the Lord. It's a great thing to do. But chances are he's going to come back and help hold you accountable or help encourage you in your weakness through other men. See, it's easy to go to a priest. Because the priest is back here behind this curtain. I've thought many times, what if I was a priest? Matter of fact, in the hospital the other day, I'm walking in with my family, and there's a priest standing there. And my daughter grabs me and says, what's that guy? I said, he's me dressed up. That's all I said. Uh, just kidding. All right. I was like, that man's lying. Anyway, um, so we start. We, it, it, this, this is easy. We can go, and, and as long as there's a screen there, as long as there's a bell there. See, when we can go to the altar, we can repent with no accountability. And I'm not after the Catholics. Look, uh, but you know, confession didn't even start until the 7th century. It wasn't in the early church. In the early church, they just had each other. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, it's a good practice to have to confess. It gets us started. God will give us the boldness then to take it before one another. As you continue to read Matthew 18, if your brother does not repent, if your brother doesn't change his mind, if, his bro if your brother doesn't realign, what's it say? Take two or what? Two or three witnesses with you. Take a couple of other brothers and go and, and visit with this person. And say, hey, uh, can we help realign because you're showing your love? And it's interesting, the last thing that Jesus says here. What's the last thing he says? Take it before the church. And so if I were to stand up here and say, hey, I talked to Bob, I talked to Bill, I talked talk to Jim, I talked to Henry, I talked to, these guys are out. That's how we interpret that. But what Jesus is saying here is, is, look, treat him as a tax collector. 
In other words, there comes a time, a tax collector, if you know anything about them, in Jesus' time, they were seen as, as evil people. And if there were a synagogue, they could only come within so many feet of a synagogue. Or else they were in trouble because they were seen as that, that full of sin. I mean, they were just bad, bad people. So he said, treat them as that. Treat them, put them on the outside. Put them, what are you doing? Why do you create that gap? To make them aware. Look, you're losing some things here. You're losing the very ones that care for you. Uh, we're trying, we're, we, we're telling you, we're helping you, we're encouraging you because we love you. But now, uh, you don't even want that. You're rejecting all those things, so now you're over here by yourself. And maybe you need to self-reflect. It happened, look, it's, it's happened throughout Scripture. You remember David? So David, this bold young man, slays the giant. But then later on, uh, he decides not to go to war one day. And there's a lady down there that's just naked, sunbathing. And she wasn't just any lady. I mean, this lady was a knockout. And he's like, geez, man, I didn't see that on the Internet. So, so he looks out there. What, what happens to David? He has a prophet come along named Nathan. You remember the story? And Nathan goes, hey, uh, man, what if, uh, what if there was a really fancy sheep out there? A man had an unblemished sheep, and it was stolen. And he starts reminding him about these things. And David's like, man, I'm telling you right now, somebody steal that, they ought to be killed. And he said, well, I'm talking about you. I'm making you aware of something. I want you to be responsible. David, you've got to confess. You've got to repent. You've got to change your mind on some things. Right? See, the, the goal of confession, this is the problem with confession. We've said the goal of confession is, is to rid us of guilt. But confession and conscience are never coupled together in Scripture. It's just the right thing to do. The goal of confession is to change behavior. Repentance is to change a behavior to allow us to take on the responsibility of our confession. It is the ridding ourselves of sin. Behaviors that bring about death. You know, sin equals death. I said this Sunday, and, and, and I, I mean this, but Democrats and Republicans, I have the ability to offend both. And I usually do when I'm talking politics. I'm disappointed that, that we have become so politically minded and so politically split that that. Even, even a justice that we're voting on, we just want to make a point and not vote. I'm, I'm blown away by this mentality that we can't put America first, much less God first. But I, I, I say this uh, for us to think about. Sin has an appetite that can never be filled. Sin constantly looks to devour. So on Sunday, I just kind of mentioned, let's just say uh, the Republicans are closer to God than the Democrats. So the Democrats are going to do what? They're always going to go after the Republicans because that's the common enemy. Let's say the Democrats are closer to God than the Republicans. Same thing, the Republicans. Well, what happens when you take one of those out? They turn on one another. That's what happens. Right now, there's a common enemy. There's a common goal. But if it's full of sin, sin will devour the entire thing. Eventually, it will self-consume. And so this is where confession to one another this is where we bring repentance to one another because we don't want to be destroyed ourselves see it is the ridding ourselves of sin behaviors that will bring about death confession is not to remedy a remedy of feeling it is to remedy destructive behaviors in our lives the number one and number two things that that are usually told to me is i struggle with 
either an addiction to alcohol, drugs, or pornography. Pornography now probably has overtaken all the others. It's the hidden sin. It's the one we can do in our closet. What are we supposed to be doing in our closet? Praying. <laughs> Instead, we're like, uh, look at this. Right? We just got to be honest. And, and, and it's a destructive behavior that sometimes we can't see. And this is why we as men need to be aware one with another. Wouldn't it be nice to have brothers, true brothers, that you could just confess that sin and just know that, okay, they're, they're in there with you. They're going to help you. They're going to help hold you accountable. They want you to be set free because sin looks to devour. Remember, it's an appetite that cannot be filled. It brings about death. Sin always equals death. It's the reason death was instituted was because of sin. That's where we are. So real confession is I'm going to open my soul to someone other than myself. Repentance means to turn away from your behavior. Reconciliation has three, three possibilities that are going to happen. So when we repent, when we come to this place of changing our behavior or turning away from that type of behavior, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be reconciled to something. The first one is to God. The second one is to you. And the third one is to others. That's what happens. You're just completely reconciled. Confession is us taking responsibility for our stuff and leads to genuine change and transformation. So, James gets really specific about this, this stuff, and you can read the book of James and see that, but it's amazing. It's the only place in the New Testament where we are instructed to confess, well, James and John, let me say it that way, to confess our sin. However, where we're instructed, however, we see other scriptures that will take us further. But let me just wait just a minute. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that there can be something that goes on with you. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. It accomplishes much, is what the scripture says. So here's the deal. When I open up my soul to others, I'm ultimately going to have to change. Healing our souls comes from genuine, authentic confession. Men, do we have other men that can speak into our lives? It's the first question I'd ask you this morning. Have you, uh, <laughs> have you ever told somebody they didn't, something they didn't want to hear? Uh, when I was, uh, years ago, I, I was uh, pastoring in Happy, Texas, and there was a couple that came to me. They weren't attending our church, but... Uh, they wanted me to do their wedding. This happens a lot, by the way. I, I get a lot of requests for weddings. Um, so they, they wanted me to do the wedding. I said, well, it's no problem, but I want to take you through eight weeks of counsel. Well, in the fourth week, I just happened to ask, I don't know why it took me so long, the woman, what she did, and she worked at a strip club. And so I looked at the man, you know, and I was like, uh, this may not work, <laughs> I mean, I'm not feeling right in my spirit right now. You know what I'm saying? I, it just something just checked me. And and uh, and I really asked asked to do this. I asked the the woman. I said, "Would you uh, would you step out? I just want to talk to, to him for a minute." And so she stepped out, and I said, "Look, she is a nice person." And he was like, "Well, she's a single parent. She's trying to make a living. You know, this is just how she can make a living right now." And I said, "Okay, okay," but her faith walk with the Lord isn't there. 
because ultimately God wants to be her providence and you may be that for her. But I'm just saying we got a situation. So why don't we cool it? You guys don't need to get married two months from now. Why don't we cool it for six months to a year? And let's just see if we can get her another job, reposition her, uh, get some repentance in here, a change of mind of how God wants to take care of it. I'm not condemning her. Jesus didn't condemn the prostitute. He knew she was making a living the best way she could. And the men that were condemning her were probably paying for her. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying. Um, so, so here in this situation, uh, this is, this is, so we gave it a week. He comes back the next week and said, nah, we just want it. We already set the date. We want to get married on this date. And so I asked the lady, I said, are you going to continue with this profession? She said, I don't think so. But she did. And today they're divorced. Uh, matter of fact, within six months, they were divorced. I didn't want to have to say, I had to tell them, I won't do your wedding. I'm not going to be responsible for this. I, I just don't feel right in my spirit. That's a difficult conversation to have, man. Because when people fall in love, they're in love. And now you're saying, hey, I don't know. But we need those people in our lives. We do. Because when we lay it out there, great things can happen. Uh, we can repent. We can seek the Lord. We're going to be reconciled to God. We're going to be reconciled to ourselves. Don't you love it? When you leave here today, you're going to know that in some way you experience God. You're going to feel better about yourself. You will. You honestly, when I go to church, even when I was in the army, living my life as a heathen, going to church a couple of, of times, maybe a few more times. I, I'm, I don't want to get into confession right now. But I went to church because when I left church on Sunday morning, I felt better. I felt like something happened. Well, it's, uh, there's, God is bringing us to this place of repentance, a place of openness, a place of community. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. So how do we do this? Well, let me just get you through this really quick because this was a little simple message that I just typed up and, and I can run you through this really quick. And then we'll just end it. So the first thing I would say, honesty will take you further than anything. First thing is get real before God. So the kneeling rail is not necessarily all wrong. I was trying to make an example and a point of why we don't have one today. We have an altar team because we confess our sins to one another. We're trying to grow the body of Christ. But there is no doubt that the Holy Spirit leads us to a place of repentance. It leads us to a place of, of changing our mind. Or he leads us to a place of change of mind. So tell God that you have no intentions of following him if that's on your heart. God, look, I want to hang on to this sin. I have no intention. Listen, that's confession. There have been times I've said, God, I don't want to do this. I know you call me to, I don't want to do it. God, I want a ranch between Springer and Clayton, New Mexico. And I want to see on a daily basis a hundred times more heifers faces than people's faces you ever told god that one no <laughs> breath like i want to be in dallas <laughs> anyway you know we all have our different things when we have our different thoughts this is what i've learned i can tell them anything so be honest in your prayers it's the first thing i would tell you is just pray be honest because the one thing you don't want is an ungodly this is what happens we go to ungodly people and we ask them their opinion about our lives Sorrow attracts sorrow. It's, it's in the scripture. Uh, Psalm 1. We walk with the unwise. We walk in with unwise counsel. We sit in the seat of scoffers. 
is what the psalmist says, what David says. And so, so here we go. Look, it's amazing to me. We've got to be honest with God because here's what God will do. He will begin then to show you the ones that need to speak into your life. Pray honest prayers. Our souls begin to open up. Our hearts begin to get exposed when we go before the Lord for sure. And he's getting ready now for someone to come along and start sowing some good seed in you. So be honest. Be honest before God. And then confession with all his power, if you're ready, it will begin to break the cycle of sin in your life. I, I, I know years ago, just speaking personally in my own life, uh, I know I use a lot of examples. As a matter of fact, I, I had, I've had people tell me, Curtis, man, I ain't never leaving your church. You'll use me as an example. I said, you remember that. Daggum right. But it's not necessarily true. I, I, uh, I, I really try not to expose anyone, but I do want to expose the situation because we learn from one another. But I know years ago, even for me, um, my, I was struggling with, um, this is odd, I was struggling with things that I had done in the past, and I was pastoring. I was a young pastor. I was 29 years old. And uh, I had two accountability partners, and what happened was, all this stuff rolled up on me, and after about, and you guys are going to make fun of me at 29 years old, but after about four or five months, this is where I was. I, I did not want to, to pursue my wife romantically, so I stopped. I just, I just stopped. And, of course, she's like, what's wrong with you? And I said, I just can't, I can't live with myself over some things that I've done in the past. And now I'm preaching the gospel and I believe in his forgiveness and I believe in all that, but I'm wrapped up in this stuff. And I remember going before my accountability partners and just saying, and, and the deal is, um, I, I wasn't attracted to any women. I, I wasn't attracted to sex. I didn't have a sexual urge in, in those ways. And I went before him. That doesn't, that may not sound like sin, but what happened was I realized I'd never really laid that on the altar. I never really laid that down. I knew I was a new creation in Christ, but I never just really laid that down, and it tended to bottle up, and now it was affecting my marriage. And, and Allison, I mean, we didn't have any children, and I'm telling y'all, she was a little, she was beautiful. And we lived out at Arnie. She could run around naked all day long, nobody see her. So, uh, except for me. But, but the deal was, she was like, something's wrong with me. What's wrong with me? You know how women take it personal. I was like, no, no, it's just something to me. And that was a hard thing for me to bring before my prayer partners. Say, guys, something is wrong with me. I don't know what's going on. And I wasn't a guy to run around and sleep around, by the way. I wasn't chasing everything down. I just had, had, had dated a woman in the Army that, uh, uh, boy, she taught me some things. <laughs> I just shouldn't have, I shouldn't have got into that. And so... Uh, all that started coming up. Now I'm a married man. Now I'm a preacher of all things. All, you know, it, it just bottled up. And I share that with you because I had to realize that that uh, I needed to be set free, still set free from that old sin that had a hold of me. Confession did that for me. Confess to the person, oftentimes, this is another little gift for you. Confess to the person you've sinned against. Confess to someone who can hold you accountable. Learn this, limited confession generally doesn't have what it takes to break the cycle of reoccurring sins. You know, a partway confession? You ever do that one? 
I don't want them to know the whole thing, but I'll tell them part, uh, a part confession. Here's partly my confession, right? You learn to open your soul. You gain a greater sense of trust when we confess. And it's huge because the primary characteristic of his man is that he takes responsibility for his actions. I say this all the time, all the time. I mean, I look for this in young men. Are they what? Responsible. Or are they still dragging on their mama's breast? See, okay, I already had another name for it, okay. Uh, but I really do look for it because the, the first characteristic of a man is, can he take care of himself? Is he, so if a man, if someone comes to date my daughter, what am I looking for? Are you just a boy who shaves? Or are you a man? And you're going to pay a dowry. Anyway. Um, so, so this is true. So it's huge. The primary characteristic of man is he takes responsibility for his actions. That scares us. In fact, it scares all of us. And we fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. Do you hear me? We fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. Unconfessed sin is like a splinter. Unconfessed sin, unconfessed sin is a disease that grows in the dark, but it dies in the light. Isn't it, isn't it neat? You know, I, I even told the doctors with my mom, I said, what you need to do is just get her out there and stick her in the sun. That's why I said just the other day. And mom was like, I said, Mom, we're going to get you up and we're going to put you in that wheelchair, in a wheelchair, and I'm going to wheel you outside. She's like, no. That's going to hurt, you know, all this stuff. But that's kind of, that's you know, unconfessed sin. It grows in the dark. God has this stuff happening in the light for a reason so that we learn from this, so that, so that it can burn off the impurities within us. Unconfessed sin, it poisons our relationships. There's no doubt if, if Beret and I had something, if I had something against Beret, there's, there's no doubt that if I don't go to him. It's amazing to me how many people come to me and say, I got, I got something against so-and-so. And I'm sitting there going, all right. Yeah, you're talking to the wrong guy. What do you want me? You think I can pray you out of that? I mean, if I had something against Beret, and, and I'm going to hold that in the darkness, and what's it going to do? It's going to grow until it finally separates brothers who have the same father. Go and minister in those situations. I've been in tons of them. Look, God wants us to live in the open, men. He wants us to quit experiencing the consequences of concealment the consequences of confession are generally tangible they're immediate and they often impact only a few relationships they're real the consequences of concealment can last a lifetime and watch they may leave a legacy your kids may learn to pick that up from you we're going to harbor this against this family we're going to harbor this against someone else don't live that way it's always better to confess than to be found out you ever have that one happen to you? <laughs> Oops. Yeah, I, I get that phone call on a regular basis. Men forget that sometimes their wives pick up their phones. It's amazing. I, I've got, it, it's amazing to me how many men get mad at their wives when they pick up their phones. I don't even know who has my phone when I get home. This thing will go through five different hands as soon as I get home kids are fighting over it. I had to bust one of them the other day. 
Yeah. I can't find my phone. We shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be hiding this stuff in the dark. So let's quit kidding ourselves. If you're playing a game, tell God. Start with God and then pray to God who can be that man or those men in my life. Few people experience transformation and outward measurable change because they live more in the dark than they live in the light.